Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! And good morning on this hot, hot, hot day. (laughs) This is uh, 3CR Solidarity Breakfast with Annie and Rebecca and we're going to kick off straight away with a uh, guest. Yes, so we've got Koshani with us in the studio this morning, bright and early. Yes, early bird catches the worm, I hear. <laughs> yes, and uh, can you tell us, you're, you're putting on an event uh, next week for International Women's Day. Yes, that's right. Um, fair to say I didn't plan the date didn't you know no, choose, well, no. choose, choose it to be International <laughs> Women's Day it's just such oh, a fabulous coincidence if you know what I mean so yes Queens of the 90s at the Nightcat next week Friday March 8th yes yeah. awesome. all female lineup yeah is yes. it March 8th isn't March 8th? oh it's Friday it's Friday yeah, yeah, the yeah. Friday yeah, yeah. And so what's the event? So it's Queens of the 90s. Yes. So who's who's going to be performing or yes. what's going to happen on the night? So it's all 90s music for lovers of old school. We've got DJ Aina, DJ Lady Erica, DJ Trixie Darko, DJ Mama Dosa, DJ Sister Itations. We've also got vocalists Bardosa, Candice Monique, MCK, DVSD, Millie Moody, and myself, which goes without saying. Ooh. And we've also got Bay Park and Burn City Queens, and they will be dancing up a storm. So there is a lot of goodies planned for yeah. the attendees. That's, yeah. That is a lot of different uh, performers. Yeah. yeah. How Do you know all of them? Or how, how do you do that, get all those awesome people together? Yeah. So I pretty much know every artist on the bill and it's just a matter of hitting your girl up and being like, girl, this is my vision. Are you available? And they happen to all be available. So it's really That's... come together really nice. Yeah. And, yeah. and how did you come up with the idea of doing this event? Oh, Rebecca and Annie, I have wanted to do this literally all my life like I am a child of the 90s and Mm. I've always dreamed of putting together a 90s night and I'm all for the queens so why not it be an all-female lineup yeah yeah so this is my dream coming true so so you're a um, music uh, event organizer is that Uh, no I'm actually a vocalist yeah who happens to also you know organize so you got to make your own own uh, spaces is that what you're saying 
come again. You've got to, uh, you're a singer. It's like people who are filmmakers they, or actors, they write their own scripts so they can actually make yes, a film. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's a great way of putting it, Annie. That's right. That's exactly what I'm doing. I'm stepping out of that, you know, vocalist role and mixing it up with a bit of events and promotions. Um, so, yeah, I really hope everybody comes. So tell us, what's the uh, venue? Tell oh, me the venue again. Oh, the Night Cat. What's with so that? our local? So it is on Johnston, Johnston Street, Street yeah. one hundred and thirty-seven Johnston Street. Yeah. So which which In end? Fitzroy. That's the Fitzroy end. Yeah, yeah the yeah. Fitzroy end. Cool. Yeah. 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 And when does it start? Nine p.m. till three a.m. Uh, whoop whoop. <laughs> Yeah, cool. yeah, a lot of dancing. Yeah, and yeah. that didn't even seem to be enough time. Yeah, like, right. We need a whole weekend Fit, yeah, festival yeah, yeah, for this. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe next year. Yeah, maybe next year. But also, there's talk of doing a Queens of the Noughties. Oh yes. Yeah, that'd be great. Yep. So that may be the second one in line after mm. this. So, yeah. would you like to do a song for us? Yes, sure. Yep. I'd love to do a song for you. Okay. Let's Here we just go. Get this set up. <laughs> Starting off with some old school classics. Man down. Hey, mama, mama. I just shot a man down. In Melbourne Central, in front of a big old crowd, I, I, hey, mama, mama, I just shot a man down. Hey, mama, I just killed a man. Put a gun against his head Pulled my trigger, now he's dead Hey mama My life had just been gone And now I'm gone and thrown it all away Hey mama To make you cry If I'm not back again This time tomorrow Oh, carry on Cause nothing really matters Cause I shot a man down Yes, I shot a man down In Melbourne Central Hey! <laughs> Rom, bum, bum, bum. Man down Man down, man down, man down, in Melbourne Central, Queens of the 90s, Queen Kushani on the mic, Dr. Darling's rhythm, for the lovers of reggae and the lovers of old school. That was a bit of a mashup, Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> Thank you. We're here on 3CR. Solidarity Breakfast. Yes.
That's so, so cool, Koshani. Thank you. <laughs> so is that the kind of uh, music that you make, that kind of mashup of different genres and, and putting different yeah, things together? Yeah, mashup is my thing. They call me the mashup queen. Um, it's a bit of what I like to call genius. I don't know if I'm allowed to call <laughs> that, but it Why pretty, not? <laughs> pretty much is. Yeah, it's a bit of this and a bit of that, and yeah, it all comes together. It comes up fresh, really. Yeah, have you seen Bohemian Rhapsody yet? No, no. But yeah, uh, Rami, what's his name? Rami Malek. Yes. Yeah, he won the Oscar. Yes, he did too. Great performance. Mm. I haven't seen it yet. I've seen so many of the preview on repeat. I look forward to seeing it. Have you seen it, yeah. Annie? No, I missed it because I had to do something else. But uh, we did have a fundraiser yes, at 3CO yeah. and it was a great oh. success and yeah. everybody came away agreeing that it was a pretty marvellous film. Yes, yeah. I've heard great things about it. Yeah. Yeah. So what are, are all the uh, different people that are performing on the night at um, Queens of the 90s, are they similar style or like is there going to be a certain vibe to the night? Yeah, yeah, that's a very good question, uh, Rebecca. We're pretty much, I I pretty much did my best to try and get a bit of this and a bit of that because in terms of the DJs, there's going to be reggae and dancehall, there's R&B, there's soul, there's hip-hop, there's hardcore. can't remember Mm. if there's jungle in there. But there's also, I feel like I'm forgetting something. Girl bands, boy bands, particularly the Euro ones, because I feel like they kind of get overlooked. Because when we think of girl bands and boy bands, it's mostly American pop culture that comes to mind. Mm. So there's going to be a an array of different genres from the DJs. And then the vocalists, it's mostly, you know, soul, R&B, hip hop, and mm. a bit of reggae and dancehall for me. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds like a, a big uh, lot of stuff to uh, orchestrate. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Annie. I've been working very hard for the past two to three months. Yeah. And it's all just, you know, coming together. Very cool. Tick tock. Yes. <laughs> and uh, how did you meet all of these amazing people? Are like, they all just, local? Are they yeah. all Melbourne people? Yeah, they're all local. Look, I guess. I've just met them around the traps because we're all just like musicians. So it's just mm. like mutual friends. Some of them I've performed with in the past. Yeah. Um, this will be my third tribute show in the last few years. I've done a tr- Stevie Wonder tribute mm. show and I had Candice Monique on that yeah. one. And I also did a Bob Marley tribute um, cool. concert as well. And I had um, Candice Monique and Millie Moody on that. Mm. So it's just, you know, bringing up. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. bringing back the favourites and just mixing it up. Yeah. But also yeah. uh, becoming, uh, uh, shining a light on how incredibly diverse and uh, rich the musical uh, uh, Melbourne world yeah. is. Yes. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's very rich. Like, I would have wanted to have twice if not three yeah, times uh, as many artists, artists. Yeah. but I just really had to like you know cut it down and just like you know that's why there's going to be the naughties one yes yes you know, yeah you know I want to get get all my queens involved yeah. how much does it cost it's fifteen dollars currently online including booking fees there's a bit of a discount and it's going to be twenty dollars at the door yeah, it's pretty good value yeah yeah, yep. yeah I say thank you Annie so yeah. do you want to yeah. take us out with another song 
Yes. Yes. Which which one would you like I to do? I wonder what that would be. Let's do the one chance. So yeah. if every yeah, it's pretty topical shooting a man down in Melbourne Centre. <laughs> it always gets a laugh that one, Annie. Yeah. I feel like you know it's good to have a bit of a sense of humour, but yeah, it needed to be that dramatic. Yeah, <laughs> okay. and it needed to happen in Melbourne Central. Yes. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. So the next one is pretty much another mashup. Um, it's one dance rhythm, so Drake, uh, but I'm doing two mashups in there so i'm doing let me love you mario and i don't want to know mario winans and they're two classic 90s vocalists i hope you enjoy it oh let him go let him know I can't do this no more, yeah You know I just don't get it I don't enjoy getting hurt I know I smell the makeup The perfume on his shirt I don't believe his stories I know that they're all lies But as I am, I stick around And I just don't know why you say If you're my man, baby I never worry about what you do I'll be coming home Back to you, doing you right every night. I'm the type of woman deserves good things. Hands full of diamonds, fists full of rings. Baby, I'm a star and you just want to show me I am. You need a one chance. All you need is a one chance. You say if I never take, I never know. You say I need a secret to truth and let him go, let him go. You need a one chance. All you need is a one chance. You say if I never take, I never know. You say I got a secret to truth, let him go, let him go. Oh, oh, let him go. He was kissing wasn't me. Now I would never ask him. Oh no, I won't keep it to myself. I don't wanna know. If you're cheating on me, you better keep it on the low. Cause my heart can't take it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> thank, thank you. you so much, Krishani. Thank you so really, much for really having cool. me, Rebecca and Annie. We're live here on 3CR. Yes, on Solidarity. This is Ari Lecker. You're here on 3CR 855 AM Community Radio. Also streaming on 3cr.org.au. Free West Papua, Papua Merdeka gets up one talks. Now we're back again and uh, you're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie and Rebecca and we've just had a fabulous beginning to the show. We're going to move on now to a bit of politics. We're going to go to an event you went to, Rebecca. Tell yes. us about it. Yes, so it was the launch of the uh, Greens candidate in McNamara, which is the electorate that uh, takes in St Kilda, South Melbourne and uh, Albert Park. So that's your electorate. Annie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, so uh, – and Steph Hodgins-May uh, is the candidate there. Yeah, there's She's, been a, a flock yeah. of these um, events happening. Mm. Uh, last night was actually Adam Bant, but Adam Bant was here at her event. Yes. So yep. we'll start off with him. Yep. And that follows a month in which people started digging mass graves because so many fish died as a result of increasing temperatures and our mismanagement of our environment. And parts of the country have suffered heat waves and parts of it have burnt to the point where down in Tasmania, the fires that have ripped through some of the areas there have not only threatened life but they destroyed parts of forests that were there since Gondwana land and that are not used to fire and that are not used to regeneration. And those fires took root because of hot temperatures, but what they call dry lightning, lightning happening without rain, which is what the climate scientists are telling us is, um, uh, is likely to happen in places like Tasmania. And what we are seeing shouldn't take us by surprise because it is exactly what is being predicted. We have just had, in January, our hottest month ever in this country. Not our hottest January, but our hottest month ever. And it looks like burning and sweltering and extreme weather events. But if you live near me in one of the concrete housing commission flats that we also, you will know them because you see them around here, those things that were built in the 1960s, kind of pre-insulation, many of them, they're not air-conditioned. They're not built with people's comfort in mind. And at the flat 700 metres down the road from me, when you have, as we had the other day in January, in our hottest month ever, days where the temperature hits over 40 degrees as the sun beats down onto those concrete blocks, it can stay up over 30 degrees overnight in those flats. And what that means is that in many of them, because the state government here, Labor, hasn't invested in public housing, many of them are overcrowded. And if you've got young kids, it means your young kids don't sleep because it's over 30 degrees and you're in an unair conditioned concrete box. And what they did in Flemington near me is they had to come down and sleep on the oval, right? Parents are bringing their kids down to sleep on the oval. In Melbourne, in a civilised society, we are having to do this because we are seeing inequality on the rise and we are seeing climate change get worse. 
And this is what climate change looks like. It's not just going to destroy parts of our planet and parts of our forests that have been untouched since Gondwana land, but it is also one of the biggest social justice issues we ever are going to face, because it will come and hit the poor and the vulnerable the hardest. And meanwhile, the scientists tell us, look, actually, this could get significantly worse, and we are perhaps 12 years away, 20, 30, 12 years away from reaching the tipping point where we might hit one and a half degrees and some of these changes and some of the disastrous runaway global warming might become irreversible. And what they told us at the end of last year was that if we want to stop it, if we want to stop it, we have to keep in that 12 years two-thirds of the world's coal in the ground and shut, its, uh, two, sorry, shut down two-thirds of the world's coal-fired power station and keep about 80-90% of the world's coal in the ground. Right now, with that lesson, and that summit, you would think people would want to act on it. But what have we got? We've got a Liberal Party that is saying, how can we take money out of schools and hospitals and use it to build new coal-fired power stations? And a Labor Party that says, well, let's build a new coal mine in Queensland and ship coal off to be burned somewhere else. Well, the planet doesn't care where it's burnt. If we keep burning coal, we are going to make this worse. And it is going to be our kids and our grandkids who suffer. 80% of our coal in this country is dug up and shipped and burnt overseas. And Liberal and Labor, they quibble about the 20% and whether or not we should have an extra renewable plant here and maybe shut down a coal-fired power station there. But they say nothing about the 80%. And if you're not serious about that 80% of coal that Australia is digging up and exporting and sending off to the rest of the world to pollute to the point where we are becoming the world's biggest polluter per capita, that's where we're going to end up. If you're not serious about that, then you are not serious about tackling climate change. And there is talk of this being the climate change election. If, if we want to make it the climate change election, we've got to not only turf out this mob of inequality-driving, climate-denying, redneck homophobes and turn them out and make sure they don't come back in for a very, very long time. But we have to keep the next government on track and say, if you, want to, if you are serious about taking action on climate, then we have got to have a plan to get out of coal by 2030. And it is only going to be the Greens who will do that. And it will only be a Greens MP from McNamara who will take that fight up for the local citizens here. It will only be And I can tell you, back in 2010, many of you were there, you'll remember, that we found ourselves in a position, much like this one, where people said it was going to be the climate change election, and we knew that for one party they were full of climate deniers and that for the other climate change tackling that was always an optional extra that they were prepared to throw overboard depending on what the polls said. Well, it turned out that at that election, it was Greens together with others on the crossbench, but it was Greens who got to determine who formed government and the circumstances in which they formed it, to quote someone not so great. And, and we were able to say, look, if you, Labor, want to take the reins of government, well, we want a price on pollution. We want dental into Medicare for kids. We want $13 billion for clean and renewable energy, and we got it. Now, if we got that with one person in there, we can do twice as much if we have two. <laughs> that is why we need to accept it. 
problem with saying nasty things about Rio Tinto and BHP and Glencore and Xstrata is that they don't tend to write you so many checks come election time. So we're going to be asking you. We're going to be asking you for that because we are the ones who are standing up to the big corporations and saying not only are you wrecking our planet but you're not even paying any tax in many instances and that means we don't have enough money to fund the services that Australia deserves to become a more equal society. Because we're standing up to them, we need to be people-powered and people-funded. So you're going to hear a bit more about that in a moment and there's going to be a thermometer up here and it's the only thermometer that I want to see rising um, over the next little while. But we are going to have to ask you, so I want you to just think for a moment about how much you can give to Steph's campaign. Just have a think. Double it. <laughs> because that is going to be the way that we are going to get her elected. But the one thing that we do have that they don't, that they don't, is people. And the one thing that I am here as living, breathing proof of is that people power can win elections, right? And what we know is that it'll be one-on-one -on -one conversations that do it, because it may come as a bit of a surprise after the week that we've had, but politicians don't have a great name in Australia, right? And as good as Richard and Steph and I all are, when we go and talk to people, even us, they will look at us and they will say, oh, well, that veil will come down, you're a politician. But that doesn't happen with you. When you go and have conversations with people at the doors, when you call people up on the phones and they realise they're talking to someone from the Greens, you've only got one head, you're there, you're giving up your time as a volunteer, you're there because you care about climate change, because you're saying don't screw with our future, you're there because you don't want inequality in Australia to get worse at a time when, given our wealth, we should be one of the most equal societies on the planet. You're there because you care about how we treat people who come here from other lands seeking our help. When you go and have those conversations one-on-one -on -one and give up your time to do that, that changes minds, right? Much more than a billboard, although we need the billboards to stay in the game and compete with the others. But you'll have seen ads on trams go past. You've probably seen about 15 today without knowing it. They may be advertising things. They may be advertising a book. But when a friend that you know and you trust recommends to you a book that you'd like to read, you're probably much more likely to read it than just from having seen that on, online or on, on a tram. And it's exactly the same with conversations and exactly the same with elections. So we're going to need you over the next little while to go and have those one-on-one -on -one conversations. Even if you've never done it before, trust me, you will be more effective than me or Steph or Richard having that conversation if you can make the time to be able to do that. Well, that's interesting, isn't it, uh, that the Greens are... Uh, we were just talking about um, how uh, the Greens have been, as they've become more effective, mm. are being targeted in a quite precise way. But as yeah. you said, uh, it backfired. Yes. Yeah, with the... Um, Scott Ludlam was the first person. He he was a Green senator and actually the deputy leader at the time. And, uh, and very effective. Yes, and he was uh, targeted because of his dual citizenship issue. Uh, but then it just blew up and as everybody knows, yeah. <laughs> how well, many, I can't remember how many in the end were, yeah. how many MPs were affected by it's that. A, it's but. a little bit that like um, the, uh, 
Liberal Party inspired One Nation, um, uh, how that backfired. Mm. I'm, I'm sure that they expected the uh, uh, certain elements of uh, Labor Party supporters to be the natural home for uh, One Nation support. But mm. in actual fact, they discovered that there was an, an awful lot of woolly people in their own ranks, which yeah. was quite interesting. Mm. Um, when you, you went to this, uh, as I said, this, there's a flock of um, la- uh, launches going on at the moment, yeah. the electoral launches, because we're expecting the uh, federal election to be on in May. Yes. It's going to be in May. And so, uh, in, in actual fact, the ABC have got this news uh, program that uh, goes on interminably called um, On the Election Trail or something like mm. that. Um, and I'm not sure Australians in general uh, realise that we're supposed to be on this trail. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Except for all these mad things that, yeah. uh, uh, like last week, uh, uh, the... Um, Labor um, uh, a, ter- a, a shadow minister for what they now call energy and environment. Yes. It used to be the Department of Environment. It's yes. now called energy and environment. Yeah, which that, that really says something, doesn't it, yeah. that, that they're putting those two things together. And putting energy before yes. environment. Oh, God. <laughs> he was in town. But that's actually not them that did that. That's the LMP did that. And they did that last year mm. when I heard uh, – Frydenberg talking about how environment was all about uh, prices of electricity and yeah, fracking, right. fracking, fracking. Yes. That's what it was all about, coal and fracking. Yeah. So um, when you go to some of these events, they don't lie. They just tell you that this is what it's about. Yeah. Um, but anyway, these uh, – Steph Hodgman, Hodgkins May. Hodgkins May, yeah. Yeah. She, she's an interesting person. So yeah. let's hear what she's got to say. Yeah. Yeah. We organise, we win. 
This is why I'm asking all of you here today to help me and the Greens take this seat so we can continue to lead the change that this country needs. We will win this election booth by booth, street by street, door by door. That is the power of the Australian Greens. We are a party of people and each and every one of you has the power to change this country for the better. change this government. 
single one of you in this room, we can make sure the next government is the best it can be. A government with a vibrant and hard-working crossbench to keep it on track. In less than 90 days, we can celebrate what is possible when people come together in collective realisation that all of our actions, no matter how small or large, are powerful and capable of lasting change. This seat is named after a woman of courage and conviction. A woman who cared about people and the land. A woman who stood up against entrenched prejudice, judged on her appearance, her manners and her gender. If I am elected to represent the Australian Greens, I would honour the legacy of pioneers like Jean McNamara and indeed Gillian Triggs. I ask you to change the nation by volunteering and voting for your values. We're starting here, in this community, in this room, in McNamara. And if elected, I'll work every day to make this vision a reality. Well, there you have it. And Gillian Triggs was there, wasn't she? Yeah, she was. She also spoke. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and... Obviously, she's a really good speaker and, and uh, yeah, she was supporting Steph uh, in her candidacy. But, uh, yeah, it was, I think, important to hear from, from Steph herself. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting to get an idea of where um, the Greens are at the moment in the landscape or the political landscape as we lead into the next federal election. Then Solidarity Breakfast doesn't normally cover... The elections per se, mm. uh, yeah, it's uh, just interesting that uh, the launches are all happening, and uh, and what was your impression of that group of people? Yeah, well, it was quite uh, a lot of um, young professionals, uh, and I mean the setting, having it in St Kilda Town Hall, uh, also the building and everything inside very modern and uh yeah clean and everything so it's it's kind of very uh i guess otherworldly yeah uh, i i felt a bit out of place but um yeah i don't know it's and and it it's almost like i guess it's like this at at all of uh a lot of events it doesn't not necessarily a greens event but uh it kind of feels like people are trying to uh, not not indoctrinate you, but like uh, recruit you, or like as if it's like a church or something, and and you, yeah, you should <laughs> sign up here. And oh, are you new here? And you know, like <laughs> yeah, well, that's all very interesting, isn't it? Yes. Well, maybe we'll go up to the uh, socialist launch because yes. the socialist launch is coming up. I'm soon sure it'll too. be the same. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've I've experienced a similar thing at the Marxism conference. So yeah. <laughs> You're listening to 3CR, 855 AM, the voice of the community. Now we're going to go to uh, Walker Street Estate. We got word that the Walker Street Estate in Northcote, uh, the drills are there, the, co- the drills that are set up to do core samples before they start demolition. Uh, the This is a long road uh, of uh, removing uh, public housing estates from public hands and offloading uh, the properties that belong to uh, Victorians to uh, private hands, to social uh, housing and also private developers. A completely different uh, approach to uh, housing. Uh, yeah, so, sorry, could you just 
maybe explain what's the difference between public and social housing? Well, so public housing is run by the uh, pub, uh, the uh, housing de- the department of housing, and it uh, has obligations to uh, its uh, consti- our con- the constituents. Mm. Uh, you uh, they have to provide housing, uh, appropriate housing. And uh, people are charged... Uh, like uh, at a certain standard. And, at a certain standard. Yeah. And they're charged a, a certain percentage of their income. Mm. Uh, and uh, also they uh, have uh, accountability uh, ratios. Now, with social housing, they're run by <clears throat> often not, the, you know, not-for-profit sector. Okay. But that doesn't make them... Uh, it, it's, a, it's still a, a profit, for-profit sector uh, the you know they run them as p- for profit so for example uh personally i applied to uh move into one of these places a social mm. housing place but you had to have uh, you had to earn a certain level of income before they would even consider you for a living in one of their apartments so anybody who's on a pension or on new start they have they are Excluded. They, excluded. They don't. Owe, they don't earn enough money to be able to be part of that system, right? That's there's, ridiculous. Yeah, there's a whole where range are the of the people that were living there at the moment yeah. in the public housing. Where are they supposed to live then? Well, they're supposed to go and they're supposed to be rehoused in other places. In fact, mm. this interview I did with a person who was down there, uh, she she explains what she oh, expects okay. to have happen yes. to her. Yeah. Okay. But this business of holus bolus, handing over deeds uh, to uh, private, the yeah. private sector, uh, and then acting in a so-called private-public partnership mm. arrangement, uh, is considered by uh, is an old-world thing now because it's a neoliberal kind of concept, which yeah. is supposed to answer all these problems. But the, you can't. It's like selling the farm, effectively. Uh, I'd now like to uh, welcome uh, Brent. That's the wrong one. We're outside the Walker Street (laughs) Estate in Northcote and they've started drilling. And you've been a resident at Walker Street for 40 years? Yeah, 40 plus years and I've raised two children here. Yeah, it must be very disturbing. It's terribly upsetting considering we've been living in limbo since December 2016, being told we'd all be out by the end of... 2017 but we're still here the pressure's on now we will be moved out there's about probably about 25 properties still occupied out of 87 and many of us are finding it difficult to find a suitable place to go to especially our African families with many children Uh, my myself personally I've lived here for 40 years I've built a safe environment around me I don't want to leave I want to stay in Northcote so hopefully they can find me somewhere in Northcote. So what has the department said to you? Oh. Yes, they will find me a two-bedroom place and I've told them what I exactly need, a low level, considering I'm 75, I need to, to think of my future and how many moves I can cope with. One move right now is almost too much for me to cope with, the thought of it all. What, what have they said about... Because, uh, I mean, the, uh, it's such a lovely place and uh, it's such a great place to live. Uh, what are they intending to do to it? Demolish, level the whole lot. A- 
and come back on an 80-20% basis, 80 cent private development, they're doing deals with the developers, and then 20% will be for us to return to, but we may not be returning to the same landlord, it could be handed over to community housing. So it's not public housing? It would look like it won't be public housing should we return. And so at the moment, how many public housing tenants are, are living here? It was fully um, public housing, 87 flats occupied and it was all public housing, no community housing. We don't see the value in demolishing this estate, it's quite, um, the buildings are structurally sound, cosmetic work could have been done, refurbishment could have been done, but they chose not to do that. In the face of 84,000 people on the wait list, 25,000 are children. How can we do this? This is a criminal injustice. So when did the uh, drills start? Monday. <laughs> okay, and so they're doing the core samples now? Yes, they're going to drill about 11 holes, and I'm thinking they're getting close to the end of it, but there's been no respect to us. In fact, when we were told at the very beginning, no activity would be on the estate until everybody was off. But then they're absolutely, well, they've lied to us about that. The flats that have been vacated, they're now decommissioning them on the pretext that it's because of the squatters, but they're going over the top. Everything's coming out. Toilets, sinks, heaters, even brand new heaters that have only not long ago been installed, all going to scrap. And so when they say the squatters, what they're talking about are homeless people. Exactly. Exactly. And I had squatters come in and out above me. They did make my life hell. And I didn't want to have to say anything about them. But I couldn't live like that. So I had to report them. Feeling sick in the stomach because everybody deserves a roof over their, their heads. And I, to say that they're decommissioning... It actually is decommissioning because you could stop the squatters, you don't have to rip the, the guts out of a place. So they're not being truthful, they're hiding behind, behind the squatters to already start the demolition while we still live there. Some people say that there might be asbestos in some of the buildings. Yes, that's true. Um, they did a dem demolition of some of the flats some years back, 16 were pulled down. Um, they denied it at the time that it was um, asbestos, but I took away bits of broken piping and showed it to my boss at the time, who was a metallurgist, he was an engineer. Without doubt, it's asbestos. And then the actual laying of the tiles throughout the flats are the original tiles when the face was first built. There's asbestos involved in that as well. So when they got rid of the first 16, what, what was the reason for that? They gave us many reasons. One was because the site was overcrowded. <laughs> now, they're planning on putting up to 300 units on the same size site. And um, the, uh, so that means it's going to be uh, tall, a tall building? Possibly. Um, residents in the wider community have, been, have argued at the actual height, but we're talking about eight or nine floors possibly in the front facing high street. Right. and then probably stepped up from Walker Street, stepped up to height. Maybe a playground over the top of a car park. And on another site, we're hoping it's not gonna happen here, 
they have actually divided the haves from the have-nots. In other words, a fence put between so that this is your area and you don't mix with the private area. Now, the, the ones that were demolished, the 16, um, what was put there in its place? Nothing. Just left the place open. So now we have um, a wider playground area. Oh, right. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. All right. So that was a different kind of philosophy at that time. Yeah, and we thought at one stage they said the police maybe wanted it pulled down because of criminal activities, but we, we never, ever nailed it as to why. So yeah. do you feel as uh, residents, that, and since you've been here for a long time, has the level of communication changed over time or has it always been this bad? Always difficult to deal with um, uh, the Department of Health and Human Services because you always felt you weren't a person, you were just a number on the books. And anything that you had go wrong, it was always a battle to get it done. Even maintenance in some cases. And talking about maintenance, for the last 15, 20 years, the writing was on the wall because they started pulling back on regular maintenance on the building, it, even regular security. When did, when did that start? When we, um, pulling back on maintenance a good 15, 20 years. Yeah. So there'd been a... a um... So we didn't realise then, but that's probably the long-term agenda. Yeah. 15 years uh, lead up to this particular yes. outcome. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And this would have been a bipartisan decision. D uh, both parties and uh, well, leading parties would have been part of... Behind closed doors. Yeah. Behind closed doors. This public housing is our public asset. We were not consulted. I don't mean just the tenants. I mean the wider community, the taxpayer. It's ours. And how can they sell it off without our agreement? Now, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, do you know where most of the other people have gone? Some have gone into different suburbs, and I'm not 100% sure where many. Some have been offered ridiculous places, like a student going to Thornbury High to do a HSC. She said at the public meeting we had at the town hall, how can I travel from Werribee to Thornbury High? None of them want to move their children out of schooling, especially those that are in higher grades, because often the curriculums won't match. And they want to stay here. The African people I feel sorry for, they've come from another country, they've suffered probably more than we know. They've been displaced, they've come here, they've built the community here, they've supported one another here, a whole group of them. Now they're going to be displaced again, sent north, south, east and west. Do you really think that they're going to find you a place in Northcote? I have to keep my fingers crossed. I do know two, two bedroom facilities do, are in Northcote and that's what I require as an older person who wishes to age in place. Okay. And they're public housing? And it be public housing, none, none other. None other. Thanks. If you share the growing concern about racism, fascism and the move to the extreme right, come along to our forum on a Bill of Rights for Australia on Sunday the 17th of March at the Unitarian Church, 110 Gray Street, East Melbourne, commencing at 11am. Speakers include Professor Gillian Triggs, Professor Rob Watts, Julian Burnside QC and the Human Rights Law Centre. RSVP to admin at melbourneunitarian.org.au. Our democratic rights are under threat. If you care, be there.
The Melbourne Unitarian Peace Memorial Church is a 3CR supporter. Hello, Kevin. How are you? Morning, Annie. I think the first time we've spoken on air this year, isn't it, I think? I think it is. Yeah, look, um, I just want to... I might have to put you back in the box because it's a terrible line. Is it? Yeah. I'll start again. I'll put... All right. Yeah. I'll put you off and we'll start again. All right? Right. Let's see. We'll put something else on. Camp Anarchy is on over the long weekend, March 9th to 11th, at Camp Eureka in Yarra Junction. The aim is to bring anarchists, families, friends, and those interested together. Come share ideas, skills, food, music, and laughter. There is a bunch of radical workshops and skill shares over the weekend. Check out our website, campanarchy.org, or contact us on info at campanarchy.org or via the Anarchist Events Facebook page. Camp Anarchy is a 3CR supporter. Oh, are you there? Oh. There you go. Hello, we're right now? Yeah. <laughs> Good, okay, we're sorted out. Look, I want to tell you, Annie, by the way, I know you've been sitting there in, in dread and fear, but I want to assuage your fears because this today is going to be definitely a suppression order free zone. <laughs> no, no mention of George or, or whatever her name is. Um, so there you are. Is that good? Oh, okay. Okay. Off you go. <laughs> Here we go. A weak solidarity, Bricky Team listener. When Monday, big supremo scuttled them more last than announced his new climate change. If there is such a thing as climate change, new climate change policy, converting former big supremo tiny a bit more for the bosses, emissions reduction fund to the climate solutions fund. Tiny's policy, of course, addressing climate change crap climate change crap by handing billions of public funds to the big polluters, which has been so spectacularly successful that Troublewazzi's emissions have increased by the year. And we can but imagine what they may have increased by if it wasn't for Tony's innovative idea. Uh, So how will your big change be different, Scuttle, them? It's obvious. We've replaced the emissions reduction fund with the climate solutions fund. Uh, Yes, but, but what's different? Well, again, it's obvious. The name. Uh, Well, has the Emissions Reduction Fund worked? Well, it certainly reduced the fund. That's why we have to keep topping it up. And how will the Climate Solution Fund address the problem? I'm hoping it will provide a solution to my climate problems. And don't forget, the socialists would take a sledgehammer to the economy, whereas we help the economy by handing the economy to the big polluters while being able to say we have a climate change policy. Anything else? No, no, that's it. Thanks, Scuttle, then. Pleasure. Oh, is that a lump of beautiful coal in your hand? Oh, Christ, I forgot about that. I I meant to leave it in the office. But it is beautiful, isn't it? The mainstream media portrayed Scuttledeem's announcement of changing the name as also providing increased funding to hand to the big polluters. But speaking of hand, it was something of a leger demand. 
the number of years that money will be spread over means it's actually a reduction. From our point of view, the best reduction would be a 100% reduction. Dare we say it, take climate change seriously. Scuttle them, named after his role protecting us from the desperate during his stint as Minister for Concentration Camps, Razor Wire and Sink the Boats, is nonetheless a most sensitive man, a quality verified by no less reliable a source as Mrs. Scuttle them. He's more emotionally sensitive than most people realise. He's sensitive about issues. Once he was so upset about the detention of asylum seekers, he wept on his knees, confirming Scuttlethem's own comment as a suicide prevention fundraiser that over young asylum seekers held on Nauru and Manus, you'll find yourself on your knees, you'll find yourself in tears. A man of true compassion and Dumbass, apparently, because given the decision to lock him up was his, he didn't twig that all he had to do to avoid the tears was not lock him up and prevent a few suicides. One refugee advocate had the discourtesy to quote Scuttle Them's maiden speech in which he informed the country his Christian dear baby Jesus beliefs would guide his public life and suggested the refugee advocate Scuttle Them's treatment of refugees put the lie to that. But then Socialist Party Supremo and would-be big Supremo little Billy Shorten Ambition went to Xavier and also claims Christianity. So obviously locking asylum seekers up is the Christian dear baby Jesus. Jesus thing to do. And now the Minister for Keeping Us Secure, Constable Peter Duffer, tells us these no proper papers, queue jumping lots are about to destroy the true blue Aussie health and public housing systems as we know them. Steal our beds. What a mental giant. On which these, and speaking of little Billy, although in fairness, Constable Duffer makes little Billy look like Mensa material, also Monday, True Blue Aussie Capitalist Review P1 headline over a socialist plan to establish a fund to provide more free financial counselling advice for people having the odd bit of trouble with the banks indicates the important people are hoping the dust is settling following the Her Most Gracious Majesty's Financial Royal Commission. That short-term memory is setting in. Labor plans to slug banks 640 million to pay for fairness fund. The big banks will be slugged, etc. The story started. Now, given the multitude of rip-offs, they're obviously hoping we'll all forget the gross bank robbery by the banks. It, it's a bit much to suggest it's the banks who are being slugged. Then next morning, P1, incomes to be weak for years. Dash IMF. Yes, sadly, the International Monetary Fund predicts wages will stagnate for years unless we lift the tax-crippling burden on the caring business class, the burden, presumably, the stress and worry that they may have to pay some, improve productivity, that is, make workers work harder, helped by desperately needed industrial law reform aimed at making workers work harder with reduced wages and conditions. Sorry, sorry, flexibility, win-win for both caring employers and the caring business class. Oh, and a heap of other absolutely essential reforms. Uh, so if workers work harder with reduced wages and conditions, they'll be able to have wage increases? Exactly. The last thing we enjoy is this stagnation in wage growth. And then two days later, Thursday P1, Rio Tato the planet's five billion bonus to investors. 
Rio Tinto, the planet, has lavished investors with a $5.6 billion special dividend, etc., etc., etc. If you're so concerned about slow wage growth, we ask the Chambers of Profits, why not reduce the handouts to shareholders from all your record profits and use that to increase wages? Oh dear. Hello, hello? Quick, over here, smelling salts. Oxygen, quick, oxygen. Oh, that was an unfortunate reaction. We'll have to wait till he recovers to get the answer. The most belated book review award to this review in, again, the Capitalist Review last week by big corporate player and investor Elmer Funkkappa, among other things, a former big supremo at Tabcor, meaning he's pocketed a bit of my money over the years, review complete with a reproduction of the book cover. Elmer says it's a must-read for all caring employers who need to step in, speak up and drive positive changes in society. People expect that, he says. There is a case for business and business councils to lead the debate on issues that matter to people. By reading this book, they will learn that the state of capitalism is not that much different now to 1848. And yes, the belated award for a book review that took about 150 years. This big capitalist recommends caring employers read The Communist Manifesto. Although I always thought they had and learned from it how to exploit while avoiding revolution. But but it's time they read it again. Keep the ingrate workers at bay. And without acknowledging it overtly, he's reviewed does indicate the foresight Marx and Engels had for where capitalism was heading, including back then that the US of the UN of the US of the world would become a major player. On his incitement for the great corporate barons to lead the debate on issues that matter, my addition in, in parentheses to them, matter to them, silly me. Here was I thinking they already did or do, or at least are the only ones their parliamentary marionettes ever listened to, or to whom, don't worry about, but on grammar, writing and great journalism. After the government was handed a short list of candidates interviewed to chair the ABC, it immediately tore up the list and appointed former sadly lamented True Blue Aussie's richest man, therefore a great man, Lord Kerry of Waterhouse's favourite, favourite, Ita Butt Rose from Nowhere. And how lucky we are to have such talent leading our public broadcaster, as Scuttle then declared, there have been few people more than Ita that I think have lifted the standards of journalism in this country. A sentence proving Scuttledham himself is no journalist or grammarian, but I hadn't realised until Scuttledham's revelation the giant contribution to the standards of true blue Aussie journalism by the Women's Weekly. So successful it was forced to go monthly. I've obviously missed its journalistic gems. But throughout her career contributing to journalistic standards, serving Lord Kerry and Lord Rupert of Wapping, whose standards we all admire, Ida has also been a key socialite in all the best social circles, the best champagne swirling charity events, well put simply, the important events. That was socialite, by the way, guaranteeing Ita will bring a working-class perspective to the ABC. The barons of industry, whom I find such charming and delightful people, are the hardest-working people I know. And yet again, how can satire compete? The aforementioned tiny a bit more for the bosses commenting on his serious opponent, Zali Stegall, who was a bit critical of his stand on illegal boat people and climate change crap.
She's just negative. She's just negative. He franked his hatred of negativity. <laughs> How can we compete? Like being no match in a satire department with the US old big supremo Donald Trample the poor, who despite knowing it was time to walk away, the John Wayne of international diplomacy riding with dignity into the sunset, Donald said he believes North Korean nepot nepotist Oli Opoli, okay, not a real word, but nepotist Opoli, current generation big supremo Kim Jong one and only, in whatever he says, because he's a big supremo. And Donald knows big supremos never lie. I'm the biggest never lie ever. Biggest never lie ever. Oh, and speaking of sunset, bit of bad luck that Tourism Authority ad showing people enjoying the sunset in Perth's Kings Park. Just a pity it's obviously the sun is setting in the east. Oops. Finally, we asked little Billy to clarify socialist policy on climate change and coal. Uh, could you be more clear, more specific? Do you want my North Queensland policy or my inner urban greenies policy? Uh, not sure, little Billy. But then again, neither's little Billy. Good morning. Flowers, a lion tamer. I join in all your days. Travel round and set up. Those round reds and cage with light of those empty lots, you know I'd never stay. Paper pays a banknotes and pockets full of change. Lies on a page. If I was a fortune teller, need an ask you for your name, heeding the warnings, premonitions, speaking all your grave, I'd guess your birthday. We've got Humphrey McQueen on the line. You're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie and Rebecca on 3CR. G'day, Humphrey. How are you? I'm very well. Well, I'll be able to hear you henceforth because I've got hearing aids as from this week. Oh, well, there <laughs> no, you go. I, I won't be straining after the questions over the radio. Everyone will be pleased to hear. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You t yeah, you, it's very... Um, Opposite that you should be talking about the Reserve Army of Labor, considering that the... Uh, the uh, helpful ruling business class have decided that we should have a, um, or they would like us to have an in-between uh, labour condition, somewhere between casual and permanent, which seems like a mirage state. But anyway... Yeah, well, I mean, it is very important to think about the layering within the working class. I mean, one of the things that I think, you know, if you go back and read these 20 or so pages in Volume 1 of Capital, what you find is how, um, well, really multi-layered Marx makes it. Instead of just saying, look, there's a reserve army of labour, uh, it comes in... Well, five different forms, as we'll see if we get round to there. Um, and the differences between what he calls the active army um, and the reserve army are not in any way absolute. Indeed, 
I mean, the whole point of having a reserve army is that you call it up to fill in the blanks within the active army and people fall out of the active army in and out of the active army into the reserve army. So I mean, you have to think of what it is from a start that the army is designed to do, whether it's an active one or whether it's the reserve one. Uh, and that's very clearly, from our point of view at least, uh, and I think also from the point of view of the Business Council, although they don't go around saying it, the function of both armies is to provide the labour that the capital can then put to work to get surplus value so it can continue to expand. That's the bit they don't add when they talk about what, how they want to change things, but that's the reality that we've always got to remind ourselves, and that is an exploitative relationship, fundamentally. Um, any of this talk about fairness that we're being drowned in at the moment misses the fundamental point about the capitalist system. There's, um, like you say, there's uh, layering going on. Um, Marx has got five battalions of the Reserve Army... He sure does. Um, and, and they, of course, you aren't locked into one of those. You can fall from one into the other or, you know, on a good day, you might get dragged up from one of the lower ones. I mean, at the very bottom, and I hope we'll end with this because it is such a nice point, there is what he calls the lumpen proletariat. And these are what, you know, we would generally call the petty crims. We're not talking about the big end of town. We're not talking about the bankers. Um, we're talking about the people who have totally fallen out of the of, of paid employment over, you know, perhaps even generations. Uh, a bit more obvious, I suppose, to people in England in the 19th century than ah, it is today. But, uh, so oh, I mean, that's at the very far end. Just a bit above them are the people who we still have. Uh, we don't call them paupers anymore. Um, we're more likely to call them, you know, they'll be homeless. And there are plenty of street beggars around, yep. um, as, as we know. So, so there's that group of people. Um, I mean, they can be, as the government's attempting to do always, they can be forced into some kind of paid employment. Um, or, or, you know, or unpaid employment. Yeah, to get them. more likely, yes. Yeah. But, you know, so there's those... And then there are the three more complicated ones. Um, there's the floating, the latent, and the stagnant. Um, and I think the, probably the best thing, you know, for us now is to just say, look, go to Marx, have a look, read it for yourself, and think about this. We will talk about a couple of these. Um, I mean, historically, um, well... Um, you know, from the late 18th century onwards, the the amount of domestic labour which was outside the paid workforce could be seen as a latent area so that the people engaged there, mainly the women, um, could be brought in to the paid workforce. So they constituted then the largest section of the latent um, um, section of the reserve army. But they, of course... Once you're in there, I mean, you can be pushed back again. I give the example, of course, and well, I, mean, I should go and say this straight away. It's important to think, why does Marx talk about an army? I mean, why does he use that phrase to describe both the active army? I mean, and what are they active at? They're active, as I said, at adding surplus value. That's, that's the key thing. That's why they're active. The reservists are held in reserve also to add surplus value. But why does he talk about an army? Mm. And it is because the capitalist system 
is fundamentally one of economic conscription. Mm, yep. You have a choice between mm. starving or selling <laughs> yep. your labour power to the boss if you get the chance. Yep. So it is fundamentally a forced system, whether you're in the active army or whether you are in the reserve army. And so that's something else that we have to always bear in mind, that Marx uses this phrase always about there being this this thing which is being sold, um, your labour power, by um, by people called, who, who are the free labour. But by free, of course, what he means is they've been freed of the means to keep themselves. That's right, free free to uh, look after themselves. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's, it's emphasised, as you said in your piece uh, that I'm looking at now, which is that many farmers before in, encouraged, therefore encouraged their labourers to keep cottage gardens to cut the wages bill. That was in the 1860s. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's still there in kinds of ways. Um, you know, but it's certainly... When there was a bigger agricultural section in England, um, and all of... I mean, that's what the old poor law was about. Yeah. And the, the local so farmers... So draconian. Had, yeah, I mean, the, the, well, no, the first poor law was fine. It's the 1834 poor law that puts an end to that, mm. as the things change. Because until then, what it was designed to do was to keep a seasonal workforce in the countryside. Right. And so while the farmers had to pay the rate, and they didn't like it, what they were in fact doing was paying a social wage throughout the year. Yeah, right. Makes so, sense. But if that weren't there, I mean, those people would go away and there yeah, wouldn't be anybody right. to do all of those seasonal tasks. But and then that, later it became coercive, coercive well, didn't it? Well, later, of course, the whole nature of the, of the economic structure changed. So you didn't need so many of them. Yeah. Uh, and then what you had to do was to drive people into the factories. And so the 1834 poor law uh, completely turns this around. And it's closer to what we've got today. Where yeah, I was people, just going to say, it's just yeah, like today. Yeah, where people are driven yeah. into things which are called workhouses. Yeah. Uh, we don't have workhouses anymore except those things which are called jails. Um, where, where, you know, mm. in some parts of the world, millions of people end up. Um, so uh, in, in forced labour, basically, well, for in, big corporations. Well, yep. That's what happens in America. Yeah, it, it sure does. It sure does. And uh, also, uh, and people will be reminded that in Australia, people who are on benefits aren't allowed to move to uh, places in, a, in Australia that have, low have high unemployment. Oh, yeah. Well... <laughs> That's true, you're not allowed to. Um, yeah, no, well, this, these ways of trying to, to force people into the, uh, into, you know, in and out of the workforce you know, and, and the areas in which they need them to work, you know, rather than, you know, all, I mean, I'm in the, the kind of sectors of the economy where they want people to go. Yeah. Um, I mean, these are things that really run opposite to the way in which a free market is supposed to operate. And yet, that market can't operate unless there's all these other coercions that are put onto the free labour force. Mm. I just uh, remind people they're on Solidarity Breakfast and we're talking to Humphrey McQueen. Yeah, and, it's, you know, I mean, when we think about, you know, there's the thing called the Reserve Army, it's, it's too easy just to reduce it to thinking, oh, these are the people who are unemployed. 
you know, and they're being held as, as unemployed so that they can be, you know, I mean, if there's a boom, they can be brought back into the workforce, or if there's a strike, they can be used as strike breakers, all of those ways in which we often think about the Reserve Army. But the Reserve Army is there uh, being constantly called on so that people get, you know, they, they get a bit of work here and a bit of work there, um, and one of the changes, which I think is very important to see, because when you began, as you said, the difference between the permanent and the casual, that's really already there. I mean, what we've seen, I think, the big change since the 1980s, if you were a permanent member of the active army of Labor, you know, what we were thinking of is somebody who got a job perhaps when they were 14, and they kept it until they were 65. Mm. Um, and they were never out of work, and that was the kind of... I mean, no, uh, this was only, I mean, probably, you know, less than half of the workforce ever had that kind of situation. That's right. But, 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 but that's the kind of view that people think, oh, well, that's what it used to be yeah. like. And then you move to this thing, oh, people are now being, you know, there's all this casual part-time labour. But what has happened is that even if you look at people who have permanent jobs, as we would say it, and, and they get all their entitlements, you know, whether they get them paid or not, it's another matter, but you know, the, the entitlements are all there for them. They are also now subject to many of the conditions that Marx would have associated with elements in the Reserve Army, that people who have continuing employment and which comes with you know, a number of entitlements, they're being called upon to work way beyond the hours that they've contracted yeah, for a start. that's exactly yeah. right. So that what, you know, this, this... I mean, that attempt to intensify the amount of labour that you do is always there. Mm. Um, I mean, that's how you get relative surplus value out of people, that, you know, yes, they work eight hours, but you work them so hard in the eight hours that they produce 10 hours' worth of goods mm. for you. Oh, so, or that they're actually working more hours yes. but not well, getting paid. So many overtime hours. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's mm. like in the white-collar industries where people, like the banking industries and financial industries, where people are discouraged from putting down their overtime because otherwise yeah. their their uh, prospects are supposed to be uh, limited. Well, indeed. But when you do that, I mean, this is another important distinction that Marx offers the difference between absolute surplus value and absolute surplus value comes when you when you get more hours out of people, mm. when you extend the length of the day. But, of course, the problem with that is there are only 24 hours. <laughs> yes. Um, and people, well, people can put in, well, we know people do put in 24-hour, 36-hour shifts, but they can't do it every day of the week. So the way you solve that problem is, okay, you say, well, you will only work eight hours, but you will be driven in those eight hours in ways that mean that we get 10 or 12 hours um, tr real production out of you. Yeah, so, so like they, Amazon or something like that. Yeah, well, what they try and do, of course, is to get the right match between the absolute number of hours and the intensity mm. of those hours. Mm. Because, I mean, you know, we are biological creatures and we can only do so much. Um over the long, you know, well, not only over the long term, in the course of a week or a fortnight. So they have to balance, 
They have to always be balancing that out. And As, can I just uh, butt yeah, in there and please. say that uh, that's also uh, not taking into account all of the things that are going on in someone's life, like aside from their labour, like if if people, for example, have some uh, ongoing health issue or something that or also yeah that also can impact oh. so much on what they're well, able what to do, do and also yeah I guess it comes back to that uh I don't actually like the term uh, the phrase work-life balance but like <laughs> that kind of yeah yeah uh, well you know I mean and there's and that work-life balance as you say includes something that the system still needs which is for this generation of workers to reproduce the next generation mm. of workers. Um, and that's an important part of it for, for, for the entire system. Now, what they try and do, because one of the reserve armies, a bit we haven't touched on that I think we do need to mention, and that is that the reserve army doesn't only exist within the nation market state that you're operating in. There is a reserve army in other countries mm. that you can call on. Now, you can call on that reserve army by bringing them in as either um, short-term migrants to work or as long-term migrants. Yeah, the visa system. Yeah, or, as this is the other phrase that, you know, it's worth getting your head around, is people say, in the 18th century, England imported a million hectares. Yeah, amazing. Now, yeah. what they mean by that, of course, is that they imported all of the food and textiles, um, yarn and things, that were produced on those um, in the million hectares um, <laughs> in, well, either usually at that stage in the 18th century, it would have been in North or South America, yeah. um, but also in India and China and the rest of the world. I mean, by the end of the 19th century, um, they're bringing in grain and wool from Australia in large quantities and things as well. So that's the Reserve Army of Labor as well. But how did they get that to happen? Well, there was another Reserve Army of Labor, wasn't there? There were the 12 million slaves out of Africa yeah. that were sent across to work on those million hectares. So that's the whole story um, in a historical sense. And we can see patterns of it. You know, there isn't chattel slavery in, in those terms um, um, across the world anymore. We've got wage slavery almost universally, um, but the amount of forced labour, of people being moved from one place to another, particularly desirable if you can get people who have been educated into their early 20s. So when you bring them in, you don't have to pay for all that unnecessary expense of their, of bringing them up and feeding them and you know, educating them, putting them through university. They're the most desirable ones um, to do lots of the things that societies like Australia want to do. Now, so, because cause we're coming to the end yeah. and I would really like you to, uh, <laughs> to finish it off with the lumpen, yeah, the lumpen and their bit. role. Yeah. Look, I mean, that means we just very quickly say the one bit we haven't mentioned, of course, is that the other part of the Reserve Army of Labor is the introduction of new kinds of machines mm. that will take the place of the existing army, the reserve or the active army. But Marx, of course, has a wonderful sense of irony. And there's a long passage, and this is only a small quotation from it. He pictures the lowest ranks in the reserve army, that is the petty crims, and he pictures them as if they are public benefactors. 
<laughs> and this is what he says. The effects of the criminal on the development of productive power can be shown in detail. Would locks ever have reached their present degree of excellence had there been no thieves? Crime, through its constantly new methods of attack on property, constantly calls into being new methods of defence. And crime is as productive as our strikes for the invention of machinery. Because what he shows earlier on is that a successful strike is the uh, very common cause of driving for the introduction of a, new, of a new kind of machine to make sure that they break the power of the worker. It's so it's so uh, reminiscent of the uh, the, uh, the stuff that's been told and shoved down workers' necks uh, for for controlling their actions. Yeah, well, it's all up. You'll put it up online. Yep. People can go back and read about it and talk about it. The important thing, I think, is to talk, you know, is to get, get your comrades at work and things and just have a chat about you know, how these things are presented to them in the mass media and what the, or what the true story is. Thanks. And that's what 3CR does. Yeah, thank you very much for talking. Okay. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Andy. Bye, Rebecca. Yeah, he's completely correct. Yeah. Couldn't couldn't have uh, been a better subject to talk about. Well, we um, had a yarn with uh, your friend this morning who yes, came and uh, did, yeah, who did uh, uh, songs for us. Yeah, and she's got a night on Queens of the Nineties. It's going to be on March the eighth. That's International Women's Day. Yes, it goes from nine to three a.m. in the morning. <laughs> it's a, it's got uh, a uh, just endless. Yeah. Uh, array of queens of of song. Yeah, DJs and live performers. Yeah, costs uh, fifteen dollars if you go online now, and twenty dollars on the night. And it's down at Johnson Street at the Night Cat. The Night Cat. Yeah, yeah. And then we moved on, and uh, we listened to a a launch for one of the Greens candidates coming to the federal election. And, uh, of course, there's many launches going on around the place for leading up to this federal election, but uh, that gave us a bit of an insight into where the Greens are heading. Uh, we moved on to uh, hear about uh, Worker Street Estate in Northcote. Mm. And uh, we had uh, Kevin live, which was a nice thing for yes. him to, to drop into the station and... Uh, talk to us online and uh, then we had a yarn with Humphrey McQueen which is always great a liberating thing now we've got to say goodbye and coming up next is Asia Pacific Currents and we're going to go out with uh, the Hilltop Hoods it's uh, the hard road and they're in town and not only that new album new album and not only that they're going to support Eminem oh Oi! Ha! What about <laughs> Good that? Good for them. Good for them. <laughs> Pardon 
needed a guide like a blind veteran's dog Cause I was going nowhere Like a child's letters to God The life's road was hard I was never so lost That I looked for an answer And I met as a boss I never did pop pills or cocktails Just rock tails Kids with skills Skills got a rasp for cops You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.